0: Hey, everybody, this is episode 88 of the Reviver Cell Podcast. Here we go.
1: Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Have you got a health issue that just won't go away no matter what you try? then welcome to the Revive Yourself Podcast, where we reveal the secrets to long-lasting health by getting to the root cause of problems that no one else is talking about. So you can have more energy, clear skin, healthier hair, a leaner physique, more confidence, and most importantly, do the things you love and live the life you deserve. Here's your host, Ryan Martin.
0: So guys and girls, this is episode 88 of the Revive Yourself Podcast. Welcome. Hope you're Oh well hope you're all feeling good in the hood as we should say <laughs> um lots going on shops almost up we'll be there soon just getting a maintenance going. now i keep saying it but sometimes it's like these little glitches in the matrix seem to keep popping up so once we get that done um that should all be up and running very 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 soon if not in fact if it, maybe i'm not going to say actually but we'll see because I've actually got a business course out in Barcelona uh, this week. So there'll be certain things that I won't be getting to because I've been working on a few other things. Um, so, yeah, that will be going on. As always, guys and girls, a lot of people are loving the um, episodes, which is great. And uh, getting lots of great um, great emails, great feedback, lots of good messages. Getting them on Instagram and a lot of, a lot of five-star view. In fact, if you haven't given us a five-star review on, on uh, iTunes, and you really love what we do. Go to iTunes and give us a five star view, that would be great. And actually, on our Revive Yourself Facebook page as well, if you can. And The more five star reviews we get, the more, um, well, the wider our audience, the wider our reach is, so we can get this information out to more and more people. That would be fantastic. Also, um, lots of articles free for you at www.reviveyourself.co. And um, if you're looking to, to for help with your any health issue you'd like to -to one-to-one help, support, guidance, um, and a structure of what to go through a process, then hit me up with an email at ryan at reviveyourself.co and we can have a chat about if and how we can help you. Now, today's episode is with David Stephan. Um, If you're Canadian, then you'll probably be familiar with David's story. If you're from the US, you may be familiar. UK, probably not so much, but um, this is a story that's... Taken a particular interest to a lot of us in the natural health world. David um, got sentenced to to four uh, months in jail, and his wife was under house arrest as well uh, for negligence for the death of their son, which um, the well, which the medical industry said that their son died of bacterial meningitis, which is false, um, and they made this case. There, David and his and his wife were. Who lost their son? They were then went through uh, a trial at court, uh, where the court started to stipulate things that had never been done before. They made it into a vaccine, um, a vaccine uh, trial as well about how they should have got you some some vaccinated. They're not would it have made a difference but could and we go into the story very very uh, deep story and David's background with the pharmaceutical industries before thinks he, that would have had an impact but this is really important and David's out there fighting for everyone who is into natural health who doesn't believe that we need you know to be poisoned with, ing- with these toxins like vaccines before, before, before for, for health he's he 's also covering other people 's cases another case that's just been going on at the moment um, the clerks who are facing up to thirty years in jail for once again they're saying for loving and caring parents that they didn 't provide the necessary um, necessary health health aspects for their for their child, which is all complete nonsense and you 'll see throughout this interview how evidence was held back and um, how the jury weren't allowed to hear certain parts of their well, in fact, I had to make a decision based on different wording that's never been used before. How the, uh, justice system, quote unquote, uh, tried to, oh, basically tried to throw the book and make an example of David and Colette, um, and everything else in between. So. Um, you know, David's out there fighting for every parent uh, and every person out there who's into natural health, who thinks you don't need vaccinations and etc. to make us healthy, injected with poisons like formaldehyde, aluminium, mercury, carbolic acid that with fetal cells, etc., etc., live viruses. And he's out there fighting and he's um, on a journey and he's, he's still going through courts. And so um, his story is fascinating. So without further ado, here is David, here is the interview. Enjoy and I'll see you on the other side. Boy. Why, why is it? Why is it boonies? What Alberta boonies? Well, explain that to me.
1: Uh, well, I guess, I guess boonies is is a slang term. It's out in the the hills where almost nobody lives, kind okay. of secluded,
0: right? Yeah.
1: Think, yeah, peaceful. Yeah. Very, yeah. So yeah. we have a small farm out there.
0: Oh, nice, cool. And you've been out there forever. You've always been out there.
1: Uh you know, I've been in in the Lethbridge, which is a smaller city, uh, Lethbridge, and then uh, Raymond, small community. Area, so kind of within about an hour. It's all southwestern corner of Alberta, cool, right yeah. by the mountains.
0: So, um, where's Jason's on? Cause I got um told about your story from Jason Christoph. Yep. Yeah, uh, Jason's Ontario, right? That's quite. A, is it quite away? Uh,
1: yeah, it takes about uh, you know three days to drive there.
0: Yeah, yeah, three days. Yeah, driving there three days. Not not for me. No, a plane. What's a, what about a plane? How far on a plane?
1: <laughs> about uh, I don't know five hours. Yeah, it's not Four. too
0: bad. Yeah, I was actually in um in uh, in the summer. I had a friend's wedding in Van. No, sorry, in Saskatoon. Um, yep. and then we went to Vancouver afterwards, which was really nice. Yeah, uh, really nice. Um, Good drive? Good. No, no, we got we got the plane, so I think it was about three hours. Yeah, about cool. three hours. But it was lovely. Yeah, it was lovely. I really really enjoyed it. Um, it was um yeah Vancouver is quite a uh, let's say progressive town progressive um yeah but it's um it's all good so david i press record because i think it's just nice to go off like that you know it's quite a nice introduction um (laughs) but i wanted to um just just to get i wanted to get get you on the show because having spoken to jason he said very interesting stories and having looked at your story and what's what's happened to you and your family. I think, um, our audience, especially across the America and, and Canada, but even in the UK, needs to understand what's been happening with, you, with with yourself and really what's going on uh, in America and Canada because it's gonna, you know, our countries are all pretty much in, interlinked. Of, uh, our, well, what happens in your countries inevitably filters down to ours. Um, so just for people out there, what, what, um, what's happened? What, what was your story of events? I know, very very sad story when I with your son but um could you explain that for us
1: yeah absolutely yeah so going into um to my own personal story um it actually dates back you know a little bit before the passing of my son to give some context as to why everything is led up to the way that it has in right. regard to proceedings and my going to jail and all that type of stuff and so if we were to go back and, and 2003 I began working with my father's company which is an organization called True hope and um, my father and uh, and one of the co-founders uh, his partner at the time developed some supplements that uh, were shown to be over three times more effective than your standard antidepressants for correcting mental health conditions mm-hmm. now when the first independent university study came out showing this and it made um, it made national news this is in uh, 2000. Health Canada came in and attempted to shut us down. And so that really was the beginning of our, our conflicts with the government. Right. And, and from that time forward, we spent a lot of time in the courts with Health Canada, about a 10-year battle with them, and we ended up winning. And it set a set a precedent in, in Canada for helping to protect the, the natural health community from the draconian measures that Health Canada was taking to shut down therapeutic products that were competing with the pharmaceutical industry. And so then from that time forward, we, we really took a proactive stance in helping to prevent regulations coming through legislation that they were trying to shove down our throats that would, you know, basically, you know, you had the legalization of cannabis, but they were actually looking to, um, uh, regulate every therapeutic product out there, Mm -hmm. which would have included garlic, you know, blueberries, Mm -hmm. like that type of stuff. Anything that could would have been deemed therapeutic, they, they were trying to push through legislation that would make it so that you had to have a license in order to grow those types of things. Madness. So, so we've we've had a long history in, in fighting the government and so and or not fighting but in, in preventing them. That must have we- cost you a lot of money. What's that?
0: It must have cost a lot of money to fight the government for ten years.
1: Well I, absolutely. In fact a lot of people say, well you've got these you're dealing with these supplements and, and you know they, they have these phenomenal results. Why have I never heard about them before? Well, because we weren't uh, we weren't spending money on a marketing budget. We were spending on a legal budget just to make sure that we could even have a presence in Canada as well as other um, natural health products. So, you know, we really took on, on a big fight there. And, uh, you know, by the grace of God, we got through it. Um, but then in 2012, my son tragically passed away. Um, just to kind of give a cold, cold, version, he ended up uh, getting what appeared to be the croup, uh, typical cold. Five days later, he's, you know, back up and at it again. Uh, We take him to to church, to parent preschool. You know, he's, he's, he's engaging in his normal activities. And then he starts to develop what would appear to be the early onset symptoms of the flu. Nothing concerning. There was no fever. There was no vomiting. There was nothing just appeared to be you know, like low symptoms of the flu and they wax and wait, you know, so for two days he kind of had it and then, you know, it started to dissipate. And so we weren't giving him any natural health products or anything like that to help him um, recover. And so um, anyways, we get to about uh, a week two of him being kind of up and down, you know, back to his normal self and then, then kind of, you know, not. And like I said, nothing concerning, but we ended up getting a nurse friend to come out because uh, she was also a birth attendant. My wife's four and a half months pregnant at the time and uh, was uh, having a home birth. And so this birth attendant would come and do prenatal checkups with her. And so she comes out uh, to do the prenatal checkup at the same time to look at her other son and to see, you know, what's what's going on with him because she's an emergency room nurse for the previous nine years. So she's well experienced. And we wanted to get an opinion as to do we take him to the doctor or do we not? Like, is there anything of concern here? And so she took a look at him, checked his vitals. Everything showed up normal. And this is on a Monday. So to give context, because Tuesdays when things get a little eventful. So she's checking him on a Monday evening. And um, she just takes a look at him and says, you know, if you were to take him into the emergency room, you'd be turned away based on the lack of symptoms. And so, um, which I agreed with. I wasn't there for it. My wife, uh, you know, gave me the report because I had to go for a meeting that afternoon while, while she came out. And so anyways, the next day, he improves to the point where he actually has no uh, visible symptoms whatsoever. And we think, you know, this is Tuesday, Wednesday, he's gonna be up and running around again. Well, it's kind of interesting, because he goes, he goes to go down for a nap. And um, one of the recommendations that this nurse friend gave was, you know, give him some, some electrolyte drinks. So we did. And so he goes down for a nap, he drinks just prior to the nap, about a cup of electrolyte drink. And, um, and then he goes down for this nap. And then he wakes up about an hour and a half, two hours, you know, I'm just approximating here. He wakes up from this nap and he's developed this interesting breathing pattern, but he's fully cognizant. And so I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, well, what's going on here, right? And so I'm giving him fluids just to make sure that he's continually getting that. And he's drinking them fine, it appears. And so anyways, my wife at this point um, went to a church activity that she wasn't going to go to uh but based on 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 his significant improvement that day she just you know we had had a talk and there was no need for her to be there because he didn't need any care it it seemed and so she gives me a call just to check up being a a extremely attentive parent and she says you know how's he doing I said well he's doing fine you know he woke up from his nap though and and uh I gave him some fluids but he's got this kind of breathing pattern that's going on it's kind of interesting right like it's deep and then shallow and I'm thinking, you know, but he seems fully fine. And it's nothing like the croup that he had before. So I, I don't know. I don't think it's of any concern. So she decides to come home anyways, um, just to, to, to check up. And she does. And so we're trying to assess it and be like, well, you know, do we need to act on this? Like what's, what's going on here? Like, he seems fine, but you know, maybe like, is there something in his throat or something? So anyways, um, before we had a chance to fully assess it, he, he also goes into respiratory rest and he stops breathing, um, altogether. And so um, I'm on the phone with 911. I'm running down the, the country road uh, or our driveway, which is, uh, you know, about 75 meters um, to get the rural address. Because we'd only been there for about three months at that point, And so I'd never memorized the, uh, the address there for emergency services. So I run down and I'm, I'm on the phone with 911. And I give him the, the number and I run back down uh, to the house. And I jump in there and, and, uh, and my son's breathing again. And turns out that my wife had given him a rescue breath and patted on his back and he coughed up some mucus and fluid and, and then he was breathing. And so we're like, oh my goodness, like I just phoned 911 for no reason. Like you feel pretty sheepish, you don't know what to do. You know, you're thinking, you know, the previous few hours, there was nothing that led up to this, it's not like it was an ex- escalation of his illness. And so he's thinking, oh my goodness, we just had this little blip and, and we phoned 911. And, and so anyways, we're like, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll take him in into the doctor or into the hospital. Um, and this is the evening of, of, Tuesday. So this is 24 hours after the, uh, the nurse had, had checked him over and all his vitals are fine. So we, we get him into the vehicle. We wake up our other son who at that time is four years old and we get them into the vehicle and, uh, we start to drive to the hospital and we're driving down this bumpy gravel road as we live out in the country and a mile down the road, he stops breathing again. And so I'm on the phone with 911 again and I'm driving and, um, and about three minutes into our call um we drive within about 100 meters of an ambulance that night that uh, could have been dispatched and we didn't know that there was an ambulance in that community and and they never dispatched it instead they dispatched one from about 25 minutes away now at the rate that we were driving um we ended up meeting it about 11 minutes into the call with um 911 and so uh, we get there we meet up they take over the care of our son they take him into the ambulance and, uh, about 10 minutes later, we are at the hospital and he is like basically non-responsive and we, we have no idea what's going on at this point. We're confused. We're trying to give him anything that we could, any information being like, you know, this is the past sickness that he, that he had had, this is what was going on. Um, that type of thing. So anyways, um, we can't, we don't know what's happening. Well, we find out later on that that ambulance had been ill-equipped for over a year time where they didn't have pediatric equipment in there so that if any child would have ended up in that ambulance, they wouldn't have been able to get an airway if they needed an airway. And that was actually the the, the policy for the entire zone was that um, they had they actually proactively de-stocked. So it's not that they ran out of the equipment and just didn't uh, replenish it. They actually removed the, the equipment out of the... Um, the ambulances when the provincial government took over the services and so they had been sitting that way for about a year and so our son gets in the ambulance and he doesn't get any oxygen whatsoever whereas my wife was giving him CPR previous he so he goes from from getting some care to we hand him over to the ambulance and he gets no care he gets care but he doesn't get any air so he gets no oxygen for eight minutes which would subsequently result in major brain damage or brain death. So we get into Alberta Children's Hospital because eventually he's transferred there because, um, you know, they, they do an airlift from uh, from Lethbridge. So he's transferred from Cardston Hospital, which is where we ended up. They transfer him. It's about a 45-minute drive to Lethbridge. We're driving to Calgary at the time, me and my wife. We actually beat um, the airlift to Calgary. We were wondering what's going on. Turns out there was a major mess in his care during Lethbridge that we discovered later on. We can get into more detail about that and uh, destroyed evidence evidence that is no longer um, uh, that we're no longer able to get our hands on to find out exactly what took place. Other than we know there was multiple cardiac arrests and, and uh, what appears to be major um, reactions to uh, medications that they gave him, and so um, we get into Alberta Children's Hospital, and within 24 hours of being there, they've got. Uh, Alberta Children's or not Alberta they got Child Protective Services interviewing us um for medical neglect and they have the the police involved as well uh for allegations of criminal negligence. Now the interesting thing was we discovered after and this is kind of what uh gives a bit of a um Context to the agenda the overriding agenda that that's come to play here because this isn't just about me and my family It's we were the first of its first uh, case of its kind in Canada uh, That they pushed these charges on on loving attentive parents, but um, it goes beyond that to um, Other other families as well now that they're applying it to but what happened is one of the attending doctors knew about the ambulance issue and what would have caused the brain death and it appears that they are already in cover-up mode because she phoned poison control, having an idea of what herbs that we had been using, and she phones poison control to see if any of those herbs would have created that brain death. And uh, when that backfired and, and that none of them came back that could create brain death, like, and what they, they did is they listed a bunch of different drugs that would um, mimic brain death or create brain death, they said, no, none of the herbs would, would create this effect like these medications would. What they ended up doing is they created this elaborate uh, theory of bacterial meningitis, which he never had the symptoms of. And so they, they create this major um, – well, they, what, what they ended up doing is they shifted the liability effectively by creating the theory of bacterial meningitis. And then when they um, – after my son was pulled off life support five days later and the medical examiner's office uh, had a chance to do an autopsy on him, they ended up doing or engaging in the same cover up and they took it a step further where not only did they um they make the claim that it was bacterial meningitis but they also said that he had a right pleural empyema which is a well developed infection on the outer wall of the lung in the pleural cavity which would restrict one's breathing because of how thick um it's kind of like almost like a pancake that that this infectious agent that just grows like a pancake um a hard pancake on the outer wall of the lung which Obviously, the lungs have to, you know, be able to go in and out. And if you've got this, you know, solidifying mass on the outside, it's going to prevent one from breathing. And so they go so far as to say that that was the second causation of death, that there was two causations of death, bacterial meningitis or overwhelming bacterial meningitis, which they couldn't find any um, uh, overwhelming evidence of. In fact, they couldn't even find evidence of bacterial meningitis. There was nothing to scientifically back it up. And they they went to great lengths to try to find an infectious agent uh, which could have been nothing more than contamination, if it even existed, um, to say that it was a bacterial infection. And um, and then they withheld x-rays that showed that he, he arrived to the hospital with clear lungs. No no right pleural ampiima. There, It's clear lungs like the nurse who, 24 hours before, who checked his breathing, said everything's fine and clear. So um, anyways, so this autopsy report comes out. About nine m- months after his passing, and then uh, and it mentions a bunch about vaccines in there. Talks about uh, the whole, uh, how, how it could have been fully preventable if he had been vaccinated. And so I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm reading this autopsy report because we wanted closure. So we actually ordered the autopsy report because we wanted to know what our son passed from because in the hospital there was nothing that was clear. And so um, I'm reading this autopsy report about nine months later. I'm thinking, you know... I don't read autopsy reports, so I don't know what's relevant and what's not relevant, but this just seems kind of like, um, irrelevant information that it would, it would be talking about, you know, all this vaccine information.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I'm thinking they're going to charge us and it's going to be a vaccine trial. And so, you know, about two months pass. I'm like, okay, Oh good. You know, no charges. I was just being paranoid, but a month passes after that. Now we're talking, um, uh about, about 11 months and so about 11 11 year, months almost a year after after he passed we get a phone call from the police and uh they want to talk with us what's it about well the crown has some recommendations okay so you know i want to get it get it off my chest and you know okay i'll go and meet with you and so we we scheduled appointment for the next afternoon and went and sat down with them. And, they charged us with failing to provide the necessities of life, which is up to five years in jail. And the the police officer, the sergeant, the, who, I guess he was the lead investigator of our case. Seemed like you know my wife's in there at this time because remember she was four and a half months pregnant at the passing of my son, and so here she's got this you know about five month old, six month old, uh, you know sitting there on her lap as we're we're in the interrogation room in this in this uh, police station. And uh, she's bawling, and and I'm completely distraught and dumbfounded. And he seems like he's excited about it, like it's you know like this is the coolest or the biggest case that he's ever dealt with, which it was uh, quite likely. And so, um, and he's gloating about. it. He's like, "Yeah, we have some case law on the matter, and you know the the recommendations came from the crown to charge you." And and, and he was basically saying like, "This is a done deal." And uh, and he's saying this to to parents that are just devastated. I'm like, "What the heck is wrong with you?" So anyways, um, we get into the courts uh, in 2014. So over a year after we've been charged, we get into the courts for the preliminary trial. And I talked to my lawyer and said, hey, I think that this is going to be a vaccine case. And he says, well, no, there's no precedent in Canada to allow for that. I said, "Okay, good. I guess it won't be. We get in there and he said, and uh, right off the bat, uh, the preliminary trial, they're interviewing the Crown witnesses, the Crown prosecution is is in direct examination with them, and he's asking about all this vaccine information. And so my lawyer stands up and says, hey, I I wasn't aware that vaccines were going to be a topic during this trial. And the Crown prosecutor fires back and says, oh, actually, they're going to be a major topic during this trial. And uh, and so my lawyer just said, well, okay. well, then just to put you on notice, uh, this is going to be a very long trial because we're going to have to uh, bring forward vaccine evidence or evidence to the contrary uh, regarding the efficacy of of vaccines. And the Crown prosecutor said, okay, that's fine. So they go and meet uh, during a recess right after, and it's made known to my lawyer that the Crown uh, was looking to set a precedent in Canada to be able to hold parents criminally liable if they didn't vaccinate their children and something bad happened to their child that they deemed to be vaccine-preventable. And so we were the first case of its kind in that sense. But further to that, it, uh, it came out when we were looking for case law that we were also the first case of its kind altogether in Canada where these charges were being applied to loving, attentive, caring parents, whereas they've always been um, reserved for parents that were completely negligent, didn't show up to their, their kids, locked them up in the basement, you know, threw some toast down to them, that type of thing, engaging in cruel behavior. That's what these charges have always been reserved for. Traditionally, and now they were they're broadening the scope of of, um, of the application of these charges <clears throat> to basically say, you know, loving parent or not, you uh, you, you decided to look into natural health uh, first, and, and rather than you know <clears throat> you know choosing the medical model, and so basically the message that they're sending is how dare you, how dare you um, uh, try to empower yourself. And um, to to take your own health into your own control, right? Is is the message that they're trying to send here? And so that 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 was basically it in a nutshell for for what took place. And what happened is when we ended up in the trial proper in 2016, it came out because we were we were kind of naive at the time. I had a gut feeling that it wasn't bacterial meningitis. There's some things that are just really sitting wrong here, but I had nothing to base that off of. I had nothing. There was nothing logically that I could say. This is wrong other than in the autopsy report it said that they used non-clinical research methodology to determine that it was bacterial meningitis. That was the only, the only thing I had of logic to say. It wasn't bacterial meningitis as well as the fact that my son never had the symptoms of bacterial meningitis. I just thought, well, maybe it was an atypical case. Maybe he didn't experience the symptoms because of, you know, the proactive um, measures that me and my wife take where, you know, every day he'd be getting a smoothie with, with different supplements in it. Um, you know, his immune system was, was generally really quite good. Um, and so maybe he just didn't experience the symptoms of of bacterial meningitis. That that was one of my, my theories going into it naively. And so what we discovered during the court case though, was that the medical examiner after he began to to lie uh, substantially about the whole ambulance issue and how it had no impact on the passing of my son. So what he's saying is that your son going without eight minutes or eight minutes without oxygen had nothing to do with his death. And so he was really adamant about trying to establish that. My son was dead before he even got to the ambulance, um, which evidence came out later that that couldn't have been the case because when, he, uh, um, when they, they started to warm him up uh, because they put him on a hypothermic protocol and they, they overdid it when they warmed him up, um, they actually got so concerned about his movements and everything that, they, that he was going to rip out his uh, intubation tube that they actually began to over-medicate him on a paralytic um, medication that ended up causing, or appears to cause, uh, have caused a cardiac arrest with him. And they ended up overdoing that medication, but you don't apply that medication to to a patient that's dead because, well, you don't need to paralyze a dead person. And so there was abundant evidence that showed that he actually wasn't dead. But what we discovered was when he, he began lying and we realized that we weren't gonna get the truth out of him, we went and hired a, uh, another medical examiner who was actually a whistleblower in Alberta uh, she was a former chief medical examiner of Alberta, and uh, she blew the whistle on the corruption that was taking place in the medical examiner's office regarding the uh, the outcomes of deaths um, and how there was political and bureaucratic influencing into those deaths. And so she blew the whistle. So we thought this is a lady of integrity that we know is is going to actually uh, look into the truth of the matter rather than protect her colleagues or protect the industry. So we hired her and I've never had the opportunity to actually talk to her um, other than just say thank you or, or hi in, in passing. Um, but she, she refuses to, to talk to me uh, to, to, re, to remain uh, or to keep that, in, that level of integrity so that we don't have the ability to influence her in any way. So our lawyer was in contact with her. She went into the medical examiner's office, took a look at all the existing evidence, said there's no evidence for bacterial meningitis. In fact, there is an X-ray. On the medical examiner's file, it shows that he has clear lungs as well. So the two listed causations of death, one being overwhelming bacterial meningitis, and the second one being um, a right pleural empyema, the x-ray showed that that right pleural empyema didn't exist. So there goes one causation of death, but that x-ray was withheld from us. And then she identified that there was no scientific evidence whatsoever to show that there was bacterial meningitis. And so we've got this falsification that one shifts the liability from the medical system over to us as the parents so that they criminalize us. And two, finds an infectious agent that they say is vaccine preventable and that they can then set a precedent in Canada over. And so that's what we discovered in court. But what happened is that the judge attempted to change the law because this evidence comes out before a jury. And the juries, they got it. they, they It's figured out, right? It's... It's so abundantly clear that there there's a clear case of corruption. Here. So,
0: so she was allowed on the stand. This lady to give her evidence.
1: She she got onto the stand, and they actually. It's interesting. So she comes on the stand for the defense for us, and in the first time in her entire career of testifying at over three hundred trials, she is limited in her scope of what she can actually speak about. Now, this is one of the the the. The most, um, I'd say, accredited or, or renowned um, forensic pathologist, at least in Canada. She's actually one of the founding directors of the um, the school that, that you. if I wanted to be a forensic pathologist, I would go to school. And she established this school. She was one of the the founders of it. And so she testified to this effect. Um, and she's actually a world-renowned expert on hypoxic injury as well, which is what my son passed from uh, due to the um, the eight minutes without oxygen. And so she comes and testifies to this. The jury gets it. So there was something interesting, though, with the judge. And we, my lawyer had multiple arguments um, with the judge over case law and how the uh, the charge to the jury was supposed to be um, handled. And the judge went against it. He basically created new laws of his own when he, one, um, opened up the door wide on what a necessary of life was – And so for some, you know, for being charged with failing to provide the necessaries of life, what has to be identified is that we failed to give something that was necessary and would have changed his uh, or changed the outcome of the situation where he would have lived. And what was wasn't identified anywhere throughout the court case was that had we brought our son into a doctor or into the hospital, it was never identified that it would have actually changed the outcome at any given time throughout his illness. And so what he uh, what he did is he changed the charge to read um, as such that we endangered his life. So it wasn't over the causation of death. It was endangering his life. So whether he died or not, they were saying that you could have been charged with the same thing and that we endangered his life at a time that medical attention and traditionally would have read would have made a difference. But what he changed it to was could have not would have made a difference so what he opened it up to is something that was completely subjective in nature um where uh it, you know it could be said that you know purely, vaccine,
0: it's pure, purely conjecture
1: that's right exactly like a vaccine could have made a difference possibly or you know uh you know maybe if you gave him some more fluids it could have made a difference we don't know it but it could have and so if it could have made a difference the, the jury needs to find you guilty if it could have made a difference in some yeah in some particular circumstance madness And so he what he did effectively is he, he cornered the jury into a position or put him into a corner where they had no choice but to find us guilty based on the error in law and what happened is two years later we find ourselves before the supreme court of canada where seven supreme court justices uh, have a chance to review the case and they unanimously decide that, yeah, it was, in fact a major error in law that the, what the judge did in regard oh. to his overall charge to the jury, and so they undid the conviction after I'd, I'd done three weeks jail time and had been out on bail uh, for the appeals that we'd been under uh, for you know the, the, the rest of those two years, but I ended up doing three three weeks worth of jail over the matter, um, and my wife did three weeks of house arrest. And so they overturn the conviction, and the, um, but the the typical way that they do it is they send it back to trial. So just just, so- just
0: just before you get to that, David, just just for the listeners, I want you to keep exactly there. Just for the listeners, if you read about what David got sentenced with in the paper, for example, and it's amazing they can do this, and it's just like Doctor Andrew Wakefield. People talk about his story; they don't actually have a clue what the real story is. They just get told a load of nonsense that the that the. That the uh, mainstream media come out so david um this David it says um David got jail time Colette got house arrest for their son's meningitis death, bacterial meningitis, uh son Ezekiel died in two thousand and two of bacterial meningitis this is what the papers say, everything, and then it says the judge said um to David, you deflected responsibility and demonstrated a complete lack of remorse for your actions, focusing more on how the situation affected you as opposed to your son." David's cult- David's moral cultability is greater than Colette's. and then the judge ordered you that your your children must see a medical doctor at least once a year and a public health nurse every 3 months and nothing was said about any of the things that David it's amazing how they can how they can tell the story you know however they want so I just want to make just want to just want just because David's talking about how he got house uh, his wife got house arrest how he got put in jail for 3 weeks so I just want to just tell them what the sentence was before we go into the next stage
1: Perfect. Yeah. So I appreciate you bringing that forward. And so the message that they're really sending there is, hey, if you don't shut up, you're going to do major jail time. And, um, you know, people who know me, there there's something to be said about me is uh, I don't know when to shut up. And that's a virtue and Sound advice. like me. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it is a virtue and advice. You know, I used to get in a lot of trouble with my parents because I just wouldn't shut up. I wouldn't let, let especially when there's an injustice. If I felt that there was something wrong, um, I just wouldn't shut up. And, and it would drive my parents nuts. And so anyways, now I find myself in the situation. And I find out that there's this whole ambulance situation that constitutes criminal negligence resulting in death. The paramedics had warned Alberta Health Services for over a year that that ambulance didn't have the proper equipment. And yet they didn't do anything about it until one week after the passing of my son. All of a sudden, all those ambulances in that zone got restocked. So it took the passing of my son for them to actually act on it. And yet there was no criminal investigation into it. There was nothing. And so when I find out about that, I'm saying, wait a minute, you're charging me for a lesser charge, a lesser crime for the passing of my son based on falsified evidence. And yet you're doing nothing regarding the fact that every child in that zone in Alberta was endangered based on their reckless Mm. behavior right? To save a few dollars or whatever, whatever the motivation was. And so when I kept on speaking about it, it irritated the heck out of the judge. And Del Big Bigtree did an interview with me and they ended up showing that clip in court during sentencing because I did this interview about two or three days before I went to jail. There was a, there was a vaxxed uh, screening in Calgary. And so I went and met with Dell there. And so they did a live stream with me. And uh, anyways, <laughs> I hadn't done live streams prior to that point. So I, I I didn't know how to analyze nervous, so I just kind of just spewed it all. And so anyways, they use that in court against me. And that's that was one of the major factors as to why um, why I got sentenced to jail. And they said he's not remorseful. And it wasn't that I wasn't remorseful. I mean, I lost my son. I beat the heck out of myself as a parent. Any parent would any loving parent, because we have that um, protective nature just wired into us and we feel like a failure when something goes wrong right? Especially after the passing of a child. And so, you know, I'd had years to go through that and and they, 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 they pulled that rate out of me. They, they made, they got to the point where I don't know if I was numb or if I just had to deal with it so much throughout the court process that I was just, I was just now a voice uh, for justice saying this is wrong. You guys, you know, you need, you need to start looking at your own problems here before you start uh, deflecting onto me. And so anyways, that, that, that's why there was that difference in, in jail time. Now, that brings us to another point as well. Um, the mainstream media has absolutely done a phenomenal job at coming up with a streamlined narrative uh, that is so off base that um, it's 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 absolutely deceived the public in such a way that they literally cheered. The, the majority of the public literally were cheering as their rights were absolutely stripped from them because they didn't recognize that they could find themselves in a similar situation to us and the reason why they didn't recognize that is the mainstream media made us look so fringe and so crazy that they figured well of course they should do jail time you know they their their crazy behaviors and all that uh, resulted in the, the death of their son and that wasn't at, at all the case and so the unfortunate thing is that people were were excited about this based on the the deception that was coming from the mainstream media that you know they literally cheered as yes, as yes. the new precedent was set in Canada that absolutely stripped parental rights, medical choice rights um, and ultimately was uh, they attempted to use as a vaccine trial which by the way they they ended up dropping that portion of it during the trial because we had expert witnesses lined up like Dr. Tony Bark and uh, Dr. Tatiana Obakanich, um, that absolutely just decimated their uh, their theory that it could have been vaccine preventable. Um, and so aside from the fact that that was a falsified, uh, report altogether, um, but even if it wasn't, um, and he did have the infectious agent that they claimed he did, um, there's no evidence at all to say that it would have been vaccine preventable. So anyways, um, yeah, so, so that, that's where that's, that's my own personal situation where we were targeted. But what became really concerning is when we started to see it being applied to other families, here in Canada, coming actually out of the same hospital, and uh, you know, to establish the same agenda, and so we were really excited when the Supreme Court overturned the the conviction because really that that was a um, a victory for parental rights, for medical choice rights here in Canada. But then we we see other trials taking place as well that uh, that are doing the exact same thing, and so that's what brings me here today. I presume that that's what's got a lot of the attention going is I went and covered one of the uh, or the, the the next trial here um, that was trying to establish the same precedent out of Calgary, Alberta, um, where the child died under similar type circumstances uh, in in the hospital and the parents got the blame and um, were just found guilty for criminal negligence resulting in death, which is up to 25 years and failed to provide of life which is up to five years
0: just just before we get into that story uh david i just want to say that um absolute heart goes out to you and your you and your wife for going through that um i imagine it has been a completely <laughs> emotional like turmoil it's just as as whether you love him or you hate him as donald trump would say fake news you know how they can manipulate the public and you say the public applaud and cheer they don't actually understand what's going on. And I saw one of your videos the other day. I think it was, and you talked about this guy, Z M D or something. I can't remember his name. He's got a site out there. M D. Oh, my God. If ever there's a bigger wanker in the world, I don't know if I've met one. Um, and uh, his, his site, and he got all these people out there, because when I first looked at your story, looking look research, you come up with another site, which was another like, anti-vax, um, skeptic, pseudoscience, and it's like, <laughs> all these people, one day, they're going to learn the hard way, and sometimes that's the best way to learn, I learned the hard way, I, the medical industry destroyed me for five years, that's why I do what I do, Um, and um. <laughs> And having been doing this for nine years, helped hundreds, if not I don't know, yeah, thousands of consultations, uh, helped over hundreds of people get through their health issues from doing it the natural way. So, when they try and poo poo natural news, uh, homeopathy, all the stuff that now quantum physics, even the metaphysical, is, is saying, well, science, you've been brought out of water because now we've got quantum physics, which is telling us all about the metaphysical and energy and vibrations and all these different things. You know they're, they're still trying to hide it as best they can. They're, they're going to try and do it, and they're trying to brainwash people. And so, as I said, it's easy when people read the main narrative. You know, whenever you see a story, or whenever you see one of these, well, I the things like false flags, whatever you want to call them, look for the deeper story. Look for understanding. This is what I want to get you on because it's always hearing it from the horse's mouth. You know, it, you know so much of your story would never have been told. Um, unless it comes from you you know and they can even do things put your court injunctions saying you can't say stuff and I've been on a jury um, uh, when I was 19 I was part of a jury that put um, well there are two men that committed murder and they both got life but there were certain things that we weren't even allowed to listen to or hear as evidence um, because that could have influenced us uh, and it would and once we heard that after we even get the sentence once we heard it it made everything so much clearer but we, but that was, wasn't was allowed to us and so it's just amazing people need to understand how these stories you know it's amazing people see films about this and one of the films that's out there it's been on for ages it's, 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 I think it's Shooter uh, with Mark Wahlberg um, and it literally just shows you what they can do and people think oh it's only Hollywood and it's like don't think you understand this is what they can do um, and this is what and this is what happens and and it's just really important for people to hear your story uh, and just to understand what's going on and how much of it if you're in the papers how much of it you're not going to hear because if someone reads your story in the paper they're going to think oh yeah right negligence but you know most people most parents that are into natural health uh, i remember doing a um uh, going to see a lecture once for one of the top vaccine experts it was in a college in london and she was saying um you can't, one of the reasons that they don't do like non vaccinated children versus vaccinated children in terms of health, there's never been a thing done for it, is because the, the, the vaccine, <laughs> the pharmaceutical companies, goes, well, you, you can't compare non vaccinated children to vaccinated children because the parents of non vaccinated children um, generally make sure that the, the non vaccinated child's far healthier. You know, they do all these things that are far healthier, they give them all these. They don't give them poor, poor food. They don't give them refined foods and anything. So you can't compare them. And it's like, what? So they're actually treating their children at a far higher standard. So this will be one before you go on to it because I'm sure um, the, the the next story you're about to tell us, the parents are anti-vaccine and the parents were vegans, correct?
1: That That's correct. You know, they, they fit a lot of the uh, the same uh, – or they fit within a lot of the same ideologies that me and my wife do, mm-hmm. home birth, homeschool. Mm-hmm. Uh, home school. mm-hmm um yeah anti-vaccine uh, devout followers of the teachings of Christ um the only the only difference was is that they're vegans and um my wife wasn't a vegetarian even until you know uh, a few months after the passing of my son Ezekiel so um, that that portion didn't fit so they weren't able to attack us on our choice of diet our di- dietary choices <clears throat> because they weren't normal don't get me wrong they were organic and uh, we eat very little meat. Um, and we, yeah, far different than, than the typical American. But the, the, it wasn't uh, fringe enough for them to be able to attack us on that. And so, um, but yeah, that, that's so it's, the it's parents, just, yeah. live with the same bill.
0: It's amazing that organics considered non non normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it
1: should, it, should, it should be the normal, right? But mm. um, um, so, yeah. Actually, one other point in regard to the mainstream media, a lot of Canadians are, aren't, aren't really realizing this, um, the, the gravity of, the, of this. When you've got a court proceeding like this, and there's an agenda that, that, that's going to be rammed through, and you need the public behind it, what's the best way to get the public on side? Right. Right? It's, it's to deceive them, deceive the masses. It's a lie, yeah. And so it's peculiar to me that Canada has their own news broadcaster, CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And the interesting thing is, is that they're actually a Crown-owned corporation. So here you've got the Crown prosecution looking to get a conviction to set this agenda. And you've got Crown-owned media. And in our case, it was so abundantly clear. The Crown-owned media, CBC, comes out with the first set of lies right off the bat. Very first day into court and they have an exclusive story above and beyond what anybody else has that was sitting in the courtroom. And so they come up with a story, and it's funny because uh, there was a global broadcaster who came up to us the next day and said, uh, hey, I just wanna let you know, like, I'm so sorry about what CBC did. I heard, uh, or or I didn't hear, sorry, my supervisor said, why didn't you give me that story? Because what happened with CBC is it came up with this sensationalized story to the point that it went viral. Like it went viral all over news feeds, international, overnight literally and so but global story didn't do that and ctv news uh, story didn't do that and so The supervisor came down on, on, on this journalist said, why didn't you get me that story? And she said well because it wasn't true And then we had another reporter come up and say hey I, I saw what CBC did to you guys there and I'm, I'm sorry for what they did and so it was really interesting that the crown-owned media was the outlier with this sensational story, and everybody else was reporting fairly unbiased. They were just reporting what was coming out in the court case. But the thing is, as every other news corporation ended up slowly, you know, threading into their stories what CBC was initially touting, and what CBC basically communicated in essence was that these parents of this dying toddler attempted to treat his bacterial meningitis with things like fruit and juice and maple syrup and just all sorts of just crazy things yeah, right nonsense, yeah. it sounds so like like just just nut bars and and it 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 made international news because it was so sensational it was so out there so crazy like it was unbelievable and it actually was unbelievable because it wasn't true <laughs> and we see the same thing in this case as well this this recent case that i covered where cbc right off the bat was coming out with headlines like um, the, the toddler died from starvation, which wasn't at all, not even close to the case that the, the child based on his height to weight ratio, he was in the 98th percentile for his weight. He was a smaller child and, and they tried to use that against the parents, but he was actually, um, as, as one medical examiner put it, chubby based on, on how big, like, you know, for his height, take a hundred kids, his height, he would be, uh, you know, out of nine, out of a hundred, he'd be uh, you know in the top two or three heaviest out of them all, mm-hmm. and yet they said that he starved to death. And so CBC has been doing the same thing, where they've been trying to ram these cases through and generate um, uh, such a public interest in these cases that, uh, like I said, the people cheer as their rights are being eroded and they don't even recognize it because they think that they are nothing like you know these parents, the Clarks or the Steffens. Um, because they'd never do a crazy thing like that, and neither would us.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean you're, you're so into the health, and you've done so much research that <clears throat> you don't do the things that they think is, let's uh, be honest, that natural health's been around for thousands of years, that Chinese medicine, um, Ayurvedic medicine, all these principles. Uh, modern medicine's only been around 100 years or so, and it, if everyone knows the reasons why the Carnegie's, etc., cetera, why it was there, and how they ri- literally... Managed to just destroy all the natural colleges and everything because they put them out of business because of the funding and how they even tried to wipe chiropractic out and that went to the Supreme Court. But people don't know the stories behind it, they just read the mainstream. That have all you know, when you they who whoever wins can tell the story when they got the money and you win, it's the same as any of the world wars if you look into them. You win or any wars or any massacre or Holocaust, if you win, you get to tell the story and that's it.
1: Well, yeah. it's, it's interesting that you bring up uh, uh, world wars because Nazi Germany didn't win World War II. But yet we see a major element that was being applied in the war where um, IG Farben, uh, was. they ran IG Auschwitz, which was about 500 yards outside of Auschwitz, the main concentration camp, where they did all the testing and developed Zyklon B. And yet we see that as a major element of the, the Nazi Germany war or the World War II. And yet that, that portion of the war was never won. In fact, it's still in, we're engaged in it today because IG Auschwitz or IG Farben was supposed to be completely dismantled after uh, World War II from the Nuremberg trials. And yet we see the vast majority of the pharmaceutical companies take their roots in IG Farben. And that—that's the root of 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 the pharmaceutical industry—is oh. World War II and the support of of Hitler, funding the, that war so that they could uh, take over all those portions of the industry. And yet they still ended up getting it at the end of the day, even though Nazi Germany lost. So it's really peculiar, right? And a lot of people don't understand that. They don't understand the roots of of um, the modern day medicine that that uh, that's so. Uh, you know, hailed as being a godsend or a lifesaver, they don't recognize that it, that it was rooted out of Nazi Germany and that they were doing the most cruel of, of experiments on all of these Jews in concentration concentration camps, and that it's not nearly as good, obviously, therapeutically, as people uh, are led to believe that it is. And 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 my my experience largely comes from um, uh, the the use of antidepressants. We within within uh, the organization that I'm involved with. Uh, one of the issues that Health Canada took was that um, we had been helping uh, a tremendous amount of people, thousands and thousands. in fact, over a hundred thousand people now come off of these psychiatric medications. And so we we know we know the devastating uh, consequences that those medications have and the lack of efficacy. So this is really interesting, right? Uh, getting into that that whole topic about medicine and and how, it, yeah, they they were able to effectively shove out all of the homeopathy and naturopathy and the only the only survivors were was the chiropractic um community
0: just about as well like yeah i mean if you're into, to i don't know um when it comes to wars and stuff as well like when why people got involved in it what happened um have you ever seen the documentary the greatest story never told no look it up the greatest story never told um it's all about adolf hitler and about Jemis. it's a it's a about a six or eight hour documentary but it goes into it it's a very, very interesting, my man. You'd um, it's interesting, very interesting, especially about the yeah, it goes into the first world war, second world war, it goes into everything, and and um, mm, and yeah, and Russia, and yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a blinder of a documentary told by someone who is a Jew himself, and um, yeah, interesting, uh, how it's been uh, all of it's been taken off of YouTube now, um, like a lot of your videos, I've seen have been taken off of YouTube. Um, we tried to look at a few of them today and they're, they're not there but the greatest story never told my man have a little look at that it's a very um interesting documentary you can get it on the website but um just for so 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 the next so what's, just to you going on this before i rudely interrupt you david you start to talk about the clerks and their and their um their issues and what they've been going through so what's what's um the latest on this or in fact what's the story and what's the latest on on this
1: Okay, I'll, I'll give a cold note version. I'm just going to move here because the lighting is really terrible with that direct sunlight uh, yeah. coming in. Um, and so uh, just to give a cold note version, uh, the reason why I took major interest in the case was because um, I was seeing the the media representation on it and saw that they were running the same program that they were on our case, where they were engaging in the same kind of lies. And so I thought, okay, here we go. We have you know a similar type scenario happening again. And so – Um, I began to look into it, and and I ended up uh, actually meeting the individual during my own trial, um, uh, Jeremy Clark, and he told me some of of what took place, and it was interesting to start seeing the parallels there as well, wherein he was making the claim that the, the medical system killed his son, and that they were doing the same thing, that they were covering it up, that there was withheld evidence, and that they had recovered that evidence on their own, and that uh, but that the medical system was trying to hide it, any of the evidence that showed that they killed um, his son. And so I, I decided, you know what, I know how this goes. And most people don't have a voice to speak for themselves, especially while they're going through court. It's a dangerous thing. They can go to jail for it. I did. And so they normally will, will you know, shut up. And if the only representation on the case is mainstream media, uh, the public is not going to get a fair representation of what's actually going on. So I'm like, I'm going to go cover it. So I I ended up attending the entirety of the case. It was three weeks long. And what came out in court abundantly clear was that um, little John Wyatt Clark, he was 14 months old at the time. Um, Like I said, you know, the parents were, uh, you know, home birth, um, vegans, uh, very health conscious, um, loving parents. Uh, They had two other uh, sons as well, um, a three-year-old and a seven-year-old. And so... um, Anyways, little John Wyatt Clark, uh, about, you know, late November 2013, starts to get a little bit ill and uh, is, is lacking interest in eating. And it uh, progresses over a couple days to the point where he starts to get cold and clammy and he starts to get some black edging around one of his toes. So uh, the mom gives him a bath on November 28th um a day it appears it appears i'm assuming based on on one of the google searches that they got uh a, a, about a day after or um the morning after i guess that he he started to develop this blackening of of uh on one of his toes and i'm not sure whether or not because uh, i've never actually gone into full details to whether or not you know they thought it was something else you know blood blister or whatever but they had done some searches on it just to see what's going on and what um so she gives him this warm bath to warm him up because wondering why, you know, cold and clammy, you know, he's been teething, you know, is that playing a role into it? Now, also to give some further context, he suffers with chronic, I mean not suffering, but he has chronic eczema and the, the eczema flares up during his bouts of teething. So anyway, she gives him this warm bath and recognizes at the end of the bath that the blackening on his toes or toes is spreading to other toes and that it's a black edging. So it's not like the whole toe is becoming black, but the outer portion is starting to get this black edging. And they become, you know, quite concerned. So they take him into the hospital right away. And so he presents to the hospital, uh, cognitive, um, alert, attentive, stable, treatable. And what the, uh, uh, they take him to the, not the wrong hospital, but they take him to the Foothills Hospital, which mainly focuses in on adult treatment. And so they didn't have the pediatric equipment necessary to, to really take care of him. Uh, they couldn't even get a, I believe it was a blood pressure rating because they didn't have a pediatric cuff. And so they attempted to start treating him there and um, to pump foods into him. And they can't, uh, they can't do it successfully. They, wrong, they placed the interosseous line in the wrong place. So they transfer him over. It's a three-minute drive in, in an ambulance. They transfer him over to the Alberta Children's Hospital. So he gets there at 3.51 p.m., on November 28th, and they begin treatment at 4.05 p.m. on the November 28th, so less than, you know, well, about 14 minutes into him being there, they begin treatment, and at this point, they get an interosseous line into him, which is when they drill into the bone so they can pump fluids in because they couldn't get uh, successfully uh, an intravenous line at the time, and so, um, but before we get there, at 4 o'clock, they take the first blood sample to to look at nutrient levels, to take a look at, um, uh, you know, to, to, to see if it cultures, to see if there's any infectious agents, which it actually never turned up that there was. After five days of, of trying to culture, nothing grew. Which is interesting because the official causation of death is overwhelming staphylococcal aureus infection complicated by malnutrition. Now, the other interesting thing is that, that four o'clock blood rate or uh, blood sample showed that his nutrient levels were in the normal range. So the malnutrition thing gets really the whole, actually the whole thing gets dispelled uh, because if it was an overwhelming infection, surely there would have been evidence in the first blood sample. And if it was malnourishment, surely it would have showed up uh, in the first blood sample that his nutrient levels were off. So... At four oh five, they start to treat him, and they they discover that he has hyponatremia, which is low sodium. It's at about 108 millimoles per liter, and the normal range is about 135 to 145 for the average person. And so he has low sodium, which would cause these other symptoms like hypothermia, because he did show up hypothermic at about 30 degrees Celsius. And um and as well as the, you know, the, the listlessness or the, the lack or the lethargy or whatever, the, you know, losing interest really um, in eating. And so the hyponatremia would, would account for those symptoms, but it wouldn't account for the blackening or the edging around the toes. And so, um, or, and, and the poor circulation because the doctors uh, initially as well as the nurses – identified that there was poor circulation and that that was likely the causation of the black edging of the toes. So actually one of the doctors took a look for a hair tourniquet. So he gets into the hospital and they begin what they call an aggressive uh, saline resuscitation, where they're going to increase his levels of sodium at a very, very fast rate. Now, the the problem is, is that you never engage in aggressive recess- or a saline resuscitation unless you've identified that the hyponatremia is acute, as in it just barely took place, Uh, So example, if I'm an ultra marathon runner and I I go and I run and I drink a whole bunch of water and it uh, offsets my electrolyte balance, drops my sodium levels because I'm not drinking, you know, there's no no sodium in there. Mm -hmm. It's going to create this phenomenon where I end up with this neurological condition because rapidly I just decrease the saline levels in or the uh, sodium levels in my body and my brain has to try to rapidly adjust for it. And it's going to present, I'm going to present with some serious neurological issues uh, if not even die. And so that's how you can actually die from drinking way too much water.
0: Yeah, you can deplete your enzymes and things like that. That's happened before, yeah.
1: Yeah, it throws everything off. So anyways, they have to identify that it's an acute to to deal with it aggressively. And so they never did do that. In fact, he was presenting with what would be considered to be chronic hyponatremia that it took a few days to take place at least and that um, and that the brain had the ability over time to adjust for it, which means that you have to slowly... Increase the sodium levels to allow the brain to readjust. Otherwise, you'll you'll create severe brain damage or death. So, what they did is they increased uh, right off the bat. They they pumped in 200 milliliters of saline fluid, and then two minutes later, they pumped in. So now 4:07 p.m., they pump in another 400 milliliters of saline fluid, and they get a blood gas re- rating um, at 4:17. So we're talking 12 minutes after the the first blood gas rating. And it shows that in that, those 12 minutes <clears throat> that they just increased um, his, uh, his sodium by 8 millimoles per liter. So they took it from, or sorry, 7 millimoles per liter. So they just increased it from 108 to 115 within 12 minutes. Now, that's still well below the, the, um, the normal range. But the problem is, is when you have chronic hyponatremia, you are not to increase the sodium by more than 0.5 millimoles per liter per hour. So they increased it effectively at 70 times the safe rate or more within that short period of time. Now, th- this is to give context. 70 times. 70 times too fast. And so, but then what they did is they, they got this blood gas rating and that should have been alarming. But, and rather than saying, okay, you know what? Let's slow it down. Let's stop right now. This could cause an issue. 418, one minute later. They give him a bolus of sodium bicarbonate, so baking soda in essence, that would further elevate his sodium levels in his blood. At 4.20, he goes into a seizure. So remember, 15 minutes before he's stable, they do a Glasgow Coma Scale rating on him, he gets 15 out of 15, he, neurologically he's all there, he's well, 15 minutes later after they did this treatment, he goes into. He has a weakening cry, he declines rapidly, goes into a seizure, and uh, and then uh, a couple hours later, has a cardiac arrest and has another seizure, and and yet they continue. After the seizure is when they finally started to to give him what uh, uh, they gave him antibiotics, they gave him more saline fluid, they gave him a concentrated um, a version of the saline fluid about uh, five minutes after the seizure took place, and and so now they're 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 continually increasing the saline uh, or the sodium levels in his blood at an alarming rate. That within one hour or 57 minutes, they had increased his sodium, uh, by 17 millimoles per liter, which you're never supposed to increase it more than uh, 10 to 12 millimoles per liter in a day. And so in 57 minutes, they did what they, what you'd normally do safely over the uh, two day period. And so, um, and if it was acute, um, hyponatremia, they still did it about five to six times, faster than than the safe rate there so even if he did have acute hyponatremia they still way way overdid it imagine if we did
0: something imagine if we did something naturally like that we'd be going to prison for fucking rest of our lives
1: that's right yeah you would You, you want to know it and so this comes out during the court case and once again you know same type of issue Nobody's being held accountable from from the doctor's end. This child dies 21 liters after uh, 21 hours after getting into the hospital uh, treatment, but 15 minutes into the hospital treatment, he's 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 done. He's he's basically dead at that point. Like he's he's non-recoverable. All his vitals are completely destabilized. What it does is it causes osmotic demyelination syndrome, where you end up with the uh, the neurons in the pons area of the brainstem uh, having a rapid die-off. Um, in many instances, even axonal shearing taking place, so the the, the neurons are actually being severed. The the, the cells themselves are literally—they're not just dying; they're being destroyed. And so, you've got this issue taking place rapidly. And and we know in the brainstem, if you if you destroy the brainstem, it doesn't matter how well the brain's working, because now you've lost your flow of communication from the brain to the body. So everything destabilizes. Child declines, blood pressure is way off, heart rate's off. Everything is up and down and up and down, up and down. And he finally dies 21 hours later. And so after seizing uh, a couple times. And so, yeah, this comes out. But the interesting thing is that the parents leave that same hospital, which is interesting because remember that doctor I I mentioned that phoned poison control on us and Mm -hmm. then that didn't work. So then um, she phones the police and they come up with this elaborate theory about bacterial meningitis. Mm -hmm. Same same doctor, same Mm doctor in this case and these parents leave the hospital 21 hours later in police custody and their other two children leave in the custody of um, child protective services and so they lost their other two children for the past five years they haven't had custody of their other two children and uh and now this goes to court and it's established, well established, that this is in fact the case that the child died due to medical malpractice or malintent. I don't even know what to categorize it as. The, the behavior was so reckless and, and out of the norm with how they treated this child that it, the, the, the doctors are either completely, completely incompetent or there's, there's a level of corruption there. And they, they saw a child that, uh, that fit the profile for an agenda that they could push through. And so the, the parents leave in police custody. They get charged. They end up in court five years later, uh, as we just saw here the, this October, and um, and they were just convicted. Surprising. Convicted. Not, not sure how, but they were. The jury found them guilty for, for criminal negligence resulting in death, which means that they would have had to completely ignore all of the evidence that came out of even the crown's witnesses, because the crown's witnesses were being interviewed or, or cross-examined on all this information, and it showed that they had no scientific basis for the, the overwhelming staff infection. That there was no uh, there was no evidence of it. There was no there was no symptoms that that uh, or not no symptoms, but. Because um, there's all, all, always an overlap of symptoms, but the the telltale signs of, of an overwhelming staph infection were not there. Uh, the blood culture from the very first sample wasn't uh, there; it showed up nothing. They took a blood culture later and uh, showed that that it was there, but it was even identified. It could have been a contaminant because Staphylococcus aureus is present in many hospitals, as many people are aware. And so these parents are convicted uh, based on this evidence that had to be completely ignored by the jury. And they now face up to 30 years in jail, depending on how the sentencing goes. Sounds
0: me- mental.
1: Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is, I mean, these parents, when they saw, you know, that there was a concern, they took their child in, like many parents would have, to the doctor. So now what are you going to Not take your parents' and
0: children to the doctor? Do you know what I mean? Like, now what do you do? Do you not, do you not take them?
1: Well, I, I I got people saying that online, saying, you know, the the agenda here is, hey, you got to get your child into the doctor, but now people are saying, I'm terrified. I don't even want to go to the doctor because they might kill my child, and I'm going to go to jail for it. And so it's actually having the opposite effect that that the the crown prosecution is wanting to 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 have or to create that in Canada. It's how it's creating a different sentiment. It's backfiring, in essence, rather than scaring people in droves to go to the hospital. People are saying, "I don't want to go there." I don't, these these doctors are are can be in, in many instances incompetent. I mean, they're they're humans. They they human error coming at it from from you know a uh, an understand a, a point of understanding is that I make mistakes. Hmm. I make mistakes, even when you know in 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 what I have well, I'm well experienced. But, at, but David, still- when
0: you make mistakes and you go to court, if you make mistakes, even if it's a mistake, you get slapped with a, with, a, with a sentence or you get slapped with a fine or or community service. When they make mistakes, they're covered. They don't That's get right. they don't get slapped on the wrist or anything. So it's yeah. not. It's, there's no justice.
1: Yeah. So it's it, it, it's it's a it's a. It's it's very peculiar that the two cases that we just talked about, mine and then this one, that, that are uh, have an absolute parallel. Uh, vaccines were attempted to be brought up in this one as well to try to set a precedent and put it backfired in the crown's uh, face there, uh, fortunately. But it's interesting because they're both – what they're establishing is that they're going to hold parents to a higher standard of care than a medical professional. Right. But it right. it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because parents – I mean, they're not experts in, the, in that field of, of care necessarily. I mean, a parent in many instances has, has the upper hand and you know, they're more, a little more intuitive to their, their children's needs and all that. But you can't hold a parent to a higher standard of care for, for medical care than you can a doctor. So when a doctor screws up, they, you can't let them go. And yet if a parent screws up, that they go to jail. It just doesn't make sense.
0: So what was, so what, that no, it doesn't make sense. It's completely backwards. It's inverted. i like try trying to do everything. Um, I mean, having, I mean, if you know Jason Christoph, you know, what, you know what he's talking about there with inversion. But when it comes to what, so the, uh, David, I don't know if you, I might have missed it. What, right. So the two diagnoses that they've given, so your, your son Ezekiel, they said that he died of bacterial meningitis. It wasn't. Do you,
1: do you know what it actually was? Not yet. Uh, well, we're, we, we think we do. We're going to, but, you know, I'm not a, a forensic pathologist. So we are going to be exploring that further with some expert witnesses. Uh, but now, so it's a bit interesting. We went through the appeals court in Alberta and they upheld the first decision showing that either there was complete incompetence or corruption in the Alberta appeals court. Um, I'm not going to voice my opinion on that, but I think many people will understand what, where I where I side in that. Uh, but it was is a, a two to one decision uh, against us. One of the judges absolutely saw the errors in law. But after that took place, we decided to start going through the evidence and trying to 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 acquire more evidence. And what we discovered is that there was, um, I believe, it's about 170 pages that we've been able to recover thus far of medical evidence that wasn't uh, given to us uh, initially that actually tells a much different story. Yes, we uh, were talking a stack. And and it was interesting because it all told a different story that would have gone against the autopsy report. And so when we were looking through it, we discovered uh, we have an investigative team doing this. We discovered that, wait a minute, there there's evidence that there's a whole another causation of death that has never actually been explored. Not, not necessarily the causation of death, but the causation of why he would have developed that breathing pattern and ended up needing an ambulance and that it was actually completely treatable, uh very simply, um, and yet he ended up in an ambulance that didn't have the proper equipment, and so subsequently ended up with major brain death, and then he got over medicated on a paralytic and and uh and likely died from that from from the cardiac arrest that ensued. And so we but I'm not I'm not gonna put it out there at this point, um uh fully as to to what we think it is, um, because it may or may not be the case. It sure looks abundantly clear that it's the case. So we're going to get that uh, uh, passed to a forensic pathologist. Okay, it's just
0: between if you're going to say look, it may or may not. But what what can you say? What you think it might have been? or you don't want to say it.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't. Well, it'll it'll come. It'll probably come out during court. Okay. It, 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 it appears to be something so simple as an electrolyte imbalance as well. Really. Is what it looks like. Mm. Yeah, and and that it's, um, which. You know, just like that hyponatremia that little John White Clark had is easily treatable to correct the issue at hand. Um, which, by the way, I, I forgot to mention. Uh, just on a side note, uh, I never talked about the uh, the blackening of the toes because yeah, never I never talked. Did s- Yeah. There, there, there was a CT scan that showed that he had a thrombus in his inferior vena cava, uh, which would have uh, could have theoretically caused that. Um, uh, that, along with the, the circulation issues, a thrombus is um, it causes thrombosis, which is the the restriction of blood flow. Uh, thrombus is just a fibrous clot and, uh, they, they, it's interesting because the medical examiner never, uh, examined further to see if there was any more, um, thrombuses, uh, throughout, uh, the, the lower, uh, veins in the legs that would have caused that issue. Um, even though it was on their radar that they were well aware of it, uh, instead they said, no, it had to be an, it was infectious agent, even though it didn't present with any putrid odor or anything. So anyways, so, you know, so easily treatable. The hyponatremia and the thrombosis and in, in our situation it appears to ha- have been something very similar to that but like i said uh, i'm not so sure at this point um and and would like a forensic pathologist to, to come out um and, and talk about it um and, and identify whether or not that's even the case
0: mm. yeah i mean if it yeah well
1: it's just the there the yeah. evidence is there it's just whether or not it's it's it seems to fit the bill.
0: Yeah, I was going to say the evidence. This is what – uh, I mean, and how – it's just amazing that they can even be – the clerks can even be charged uh, with this after all this coming. I mean, it is are they reporting uh, – are the mainstream media reporting this story very sim- in a very similar vein as where they, they reported yours?
1: malnutrition, you know, these these are neglectful parents, malnourished, even though there was no evidence to back up the malnutrition. It's funny because the medical examiner, what she did, rather than looking at the four o'clock blood sample that they got that showed that his nutrient levels are normal, she ended up taking blood from little John Wyatt Clark after he'd been dead for three days. She took that blood, so it's heavily degraded and tested it for, uh, various nutrients, got a normal rating on folate, even though the blood was degraded. I uh, couldn't get a zinc rating because the blood was too degraded to even get the zinc rating and then got a low rating of vitamin D and vitamin A, even though, uh, four days previous when they, they took blood from him when he had, um, when he was alive and, and stable before they diluted the heck out of his blood with all the saline fluid. Um, it showed that his vitamin A and D levels were, were, uh, were normal. So it's just really interesting that, uh, yeah, You know, the great lengths that they go to try to substantiate these claims that would shift the liability from the medical system over to the parents. But the the, the question that has to be really asked is why is it that the – because children die all the time. Unfortunately, it's a sad reality. People die. But children die all the time. In Alberta Children's Hospital, they, they see it. I mean, that, that's where children, really, really sick children go. Mm-hmm. And they die. And so – it's just really interesting that the two sets of parents that are being charged and, and highlighted in all of this um have these similar ideologies when, you know, I'm I'm betting that there are a number of children that have died from overwhelming bacterial infections that have presented to the hospital too you know, too little too late. That have been vaccinated. That have been vaccinated, that uh, you know, they, they were birthed in the hospital, um, you know, they're you know, that type of thing. So it's interesting. It appears that there's clearly an agenda because the two major cases that have taken place in Calgary, it can't be by chance that the only two deaths that have occurred for a child that they could try to smear as being negligent would be parents that are home birthers, that, uh, that don't vaccinate, um, you know, and, and live a holistic lifestyle. It just doesn't make any sense. Mm.
0: The 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 um. Do, do you think that the reason they went after you as well was because, tricking you, you were black, blacklisted or blackmarked after fighting these companies in court?
1: Absolutely. In, in, in fact, we were um, uh, on a lot of the, the documentation. Um, there's there's warnings at the top of, of the documentation. So when Child Protective Services engaged with us, uh, they had already been given a warning um, as to who we were. They identified us as, as like sovereign citizens, probably heavily armed, all this type of stuff, you know, like engage with caution. Um, so, uh, the RCMP, uh, same thing. So we were clearly on a list. Um, and in fact, the medical examiner of, um, uh, that, that did the autopsy on my son one day before he did the autopsy, he was given a 17 page letter from the Alberta solicitor general's office. That was a risk profile letter of who we were. As well, interestingly, in that letter, it uh, identified what his causation of death was, as if some lawyer out of Alberta Solicitor General's office would know what the cause of my son's death was and that he'd be giving that to the medical examiner prior to the autopsy. So we were definitely blacklisted, and there, there definitely appears to be a very strong case of bureaucratic influencing into the causation of death so that they could um, criminalize us. And it's interesting that you bring that up because further to that, the media has used this there's a video on my timeline um i'm not sure how far down it is but it's solely specific to uh what the media has done with this case where i've been presenting across uh western canada mainly uh for the past um six seven years and um on, on natural health uh public presentations training stores that type of stuff and, and I do these tours every year. In fact, uh, during the busy time, I'm generally doing, uh, you know, two or three or four presentations per week um, across Canada. And so uh, the media has stalked me and they've used this situation to try to prevent me from being able to present. And they've used it to try to attack uh, the organization as a whole uh, of True Hope. Um trying to see that with the science and all this type of stuff it's incredible
0: yeah the simple truth about corrective mental illness i've got that up here um that's one of your one of your lectures um from true hope um published yeah i I mean there's a lot of them they have taken down um which is a yeah this is what they do you know they (laughs) yeah a lot of us are losing the videos on on youtube and they're just trying to make they're trying to tell you what you should be listening to where's free it's amazing it's just amazing and so david question t- to you would you have done anything different
1: now Hind- hindsight is always 2020 would have i done anything different well you know it that, that's a really interesting question given given the symptoms given the fact that we had our our friend nurse come out and, and you know she's a triage nurse uh, out, out of you know emergency room for nine years and she says you know based on this lack of symptoms,
0: how did how did that not that, that not go in evidence like uh,
1: it did it did unfortunately her story has uh because the sole purpose that she was brought out was you know do we take him to the doctor or not and she came under attack immediately following um uh the the situation in fact she met with us uh about two or three weeks after um the passing of Ezekiel and she actually asked the question she says are you blaming me for his death because what happened is Immediately following or him getting into from Hospital, the doctors were already um, giving her calls. And then the police getting involved in the police investigation uh, made it f- feel like to her that she was on trial and she, that they were investigating her. And at this time, she was uh, trying to get registered as a midwife and she was having some struggles there as well as she's a nurse. And so her whole career was, was under attack in essence or at risk. And so her story changed to, uh, you know, I I recommended that, you know, maybe they take him into the doctor, right? To protect herself is is what it appears. Now, I don't know if she did that with intent. Uh, It was a traumatic situation for her as well, Um, or whether that's just what she honestly believed or she's just told herself that enough times. But that's what came out in court is, you know, I I said that knowledge is power. I didn't see anything of alarm. There's nothing out of the ordinary. This is what she this is basically almost verbatim what her testimony was in court. Um, so I saw nothing of concern, but I said that, you know, knowledge is power. Maybe you want to just take him in to the doctor and get a diagnosis. And so that was, that, that's what she said in court. But is that was she now, said to you? No. Well, that's not what, uh, now I wasn't there, but when my wife, because my wife was distraught with me at the, you know, I met her about noon after, after one meeting uh, that I'd had that day and um ezekiel had a bad night that night and so she didn't sleep very well and that's when she says well do, do we take him to a doctor do we not and uh, and then she said well you know i'll call um you know my nurse friend and have her come out and, and see and give me her opinion so the sole purpose was you know do we take him to a doctor or do we not And when i got back home that night she said yeah you know um let's give him some electrolyte fluids that's what she recommended and uh, she was in much better spirits, much more hopeful, and just said, you know, it, what Terry did is she, you know, this is a, the nurse, um, she, she checked all of his vitals, his breathing, you know, with a stethoscope, everything, and said there's nothing out of the norm, and that if you were to take him into the hospital uh, with, with the, the lack of symptoms that you would be turned away. So that's what my wife communicated to me and wasn't advocating anymore, you know, to take him into the doctor. And so it's unfortunate that, you know, after she, this, this nurse gets attacked, that uh, that she comes out with that soft approach and it's still soft and it, and it doesn't show any criminality in, in essence. It's it's saying that, uh, you know, I didn't see anything, but maybe, just maybe you want to take him to the doctor. So she's covering um, her basis there to, uh, that would protect her, but uh, that's not at all what, what my wife had communicated nor remembers at all, uh, especially based on the fact that that was the sole purpose of her coming out was, do we take him to the doctor or do we not? So, if, yeah. So unfortunately... That's how it came out in court. But still, the way it came out in court still isn't isn't damning, um, in essence, and and wouldn't create a case of criminality where it's like you were told by a professional that he had severe symptoms and you need to take him in. Um, It it was just there. I don't see any symptoms, but maybe you want to take him in is is how she related in court. And so that should have um, or or actually was it, it was it was a fine testimony. But like I said, that judge. Um, put or back the jury into a corner where they had no choice but to find us guilty and that's what the Supreme Court um overturned it on.
0: And so and so for essence you you I mean I say hindsight's always twenty twenty, but if it happened I mean you wouldn't have done anything different really, really would you?
1: Well yeah, that, that that that's that's always the question. Is you know the would have, could have, should have, and, and and as as any parent normally would have done, is you you go through that, you run it over your mind over and over and over to the point that it almost drives you crazy. And and uh, me and my wife did do that for sure. And and it's interesting that as we've learned more of the the facts and that it wasn't bacterial meningitis and all this type of stuff. And um, if we found ourselves in a similar situation, we'd definitely be much more cautious. Absolutely. Um, uh, but you know, when you have a child who looks like they're starting to get the flu, but they don't have a fever and they're not vomiting, um, it's hard to identify whether or not there, there's something there that, that could be, uh, alarming. And if, I mean, when, when we get an expert witness, when we get another forensic pathologist to take a look at the file and to give us their ideas on it, and and, and if we do discover that it is what we may think it is, um, it it'll change our perspective and understanding of of, of how to deal with things a, a little more appropriately if if it, it was in fact an electrolyte imbalance um that maybe we could kind of avoid that but it, it's i don't know it, 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 it there's still a lot of confusion surrounding it but as a parent we're definitely a lot more cautious a lot more attentive and um and yeah if, if there was something that was that was questionable um i'd definitely be be seeking for um, you know, some some a uh, greater uh, much better opinion than, than than what I could give, or a second opinion that, that would uh give us a better understanding of, of what kind of action to take, you know, if if we need to take them into the doctor or not.
0: Let's say who would you go to? You don't trust his doctors anyway. Um just to see.
1: a bit of a concern it it, it is a it's a it's a it's quite a concern actually for a lot of a lot of people unfortunately that these doctors that that we should be trusting many times their ego is getting in the way uh the fact that you know social social workers are being employed in hospitals um you know to engage in medical kidnap like it's it's becoming a little bit it's well not a little bit it's becoming quite concerning for a lot of people and for good reason
0: It's Um, um, it's becoming a bit um yeah, it's becoming like the state who can do what they want. Really, it's becoming a little bit uh, communistic. Really, um, right. um, and so, David, just for people out there, what's what's next for you, and um, what's going on?
1: Okay, so we're we're back in court again. Um, just had our, our first hearing uh, recently. Uh, regarding some some issues surrounding disclosure and wanting to get our hands on all of the evidence, because like I said, uh, there appears to be destroyed evidence. We've made multiple requests for for different documents that are even referenced in the documents we have, and they're not in existence. We can't get our hands on on a lot of the information that would probably tell a much uh, greater story of what took place. Just got as, missing, uh, is it? Uh, what's up? Just go
0: missing, is it? Quote well,
1: unquote.
0: It, it, it,
1: it, it was there, or, or if, it, if, it, if it wasn't there, then, then there's documents that are referencing stuff that was make-believe in the first place. So, you know, there, there's evidence that it was either there or that there's fabrication of, of the other evidence to, to allude to other, other documents being there. So we've made multiple requests and can't get anything. Um, so we're hoping that the Crown can supply that. And if they can't, um, we're going to have a major issue moving forward because we need to identify what our son actually died from before we can even have a trial on this matter to say, you know whether or not we cared for him appropriately based on what he he had and so that that's really a fundamental basis of the, of the whole court case so that that we just had a hearing about that we're going to have a follow up probably next week regarding uh, that situation in the courts again and um and so we, we don't know, uh, you know, how things are going to go. But what they're currently looking at is uh, June of 2019 is uh, when we'll likely be back in the courts again. Um, and we'll see how it goes. But at this point, we're actually self-representing. We don't even have a lawyer uh, because it's cost us about a million dollars uh, to to go through the, the Alberta courts, Alberta appeals courts and then the Supreme Court of Canada. And when they turn it back to trial and say, yeah, there was errors in law that have got you to this point and we're going to overturn it all, they don't say, and you get your money back um, at all. So, no, you get put back into a, a position uh, where you're at square one, but yet you don't have the, uh, the finances. So we're self-representing. Uh, it's somewhat liberating um, being able to, to speak uh, on, on our own behalf, mm. uh, but somewhat concerning as well because yeah. I'm not alone. <laughs> no,
0: no. So, how are you, so how are you funding this?
1: Well, we will be starting up a GoFundMe account uh or a funding account right away here because uh it costs money to get expert witnesses uh, as you can imagine they cost hundreds of dollars an hour um these these experts and so we will be uh we'll be doing that um and then if we have enough funds we'll we'll fund a lawyer as well um but for the time being we need those expert witnesses uh to be able to look at uh, the files that we do have and to identify uh what Ezekiel uh actually um ended up uh not dying from, but ended up in the ambulance from, and then died in the ambulance.
0: Well, when you get that uh, up, give me the link, because I'll happily put it up, because I think uh, you're doing a very brave job doing this, because you know, you're know you doing this for everyone else that's gonna be needing this in the future, because um, you're gonna set a precedent by fighting this. Um, and there, and so, when you get that set up, let me know, um, and we'll put it up and try and get you some, some funding from our audience as well. I think it's really, really important. Um, and where's where's the yeah? I was trying to see. I couldn't see. You'll find your website, David. Have you got a website?
1: Uh you know, I don't. Well, I do actually. Standfortruth.ca. So stand, and then the number four, and then truth.ca. Um, it hasn't been updated in a long time, but uh, we're going we're about to get that up and running again right away here. Um, so that that's gonna be kind of the. Uh, it's gonna be much more broad than just our case, and then um, and then I've got that stand for truth on on youtube as well uh yep. that, that we were looking at that video yep. and so um yeah so we're going to be starting up the Stanford truth movement uh right away here that that's kind of all-encompassing uh regarding the 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 corruption that's taking place in the government uh you know calls to action what we can actually do about it rather than just highlighting issues um actually coming up with solutions for those issues um and yeah so we're going to be starting that again pretty soon here we're a little bit short on resources but um uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah you can expect that coming up before a court case that uh, there's going to be a lot of a lot of stuff taking place to to help this forward movement uh, continue on in a much more uh, expeditious way. Awesome!
0: And is, it was, have you got a Facebook page with that as well, or is it just your page, just David? Yeah, Ste- I've, got,
1: I've, got, I've got my Facebook page, David Stefan, yeah. and I actually have the Stand for Truth uh, Facebook page that I just acquired, and I haven't done anything with it right. yet. But uh, that'll fall in line as well with the Stand for Truth website, as well as the Stand for Truth YouTube um, page. Yeah. Pitch.
0: Yeah, awesome. Anything else you want to add, David, before we let you go? And then you've got lots to do.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I got two other interviews today. Yeah. Uh, but that's okay. I got a little bit of time. Um, yeah, you know, the, the the last thing I guess I could say is, is um, uh, you know, the best thing that we can do, uh, in my opinion, is to take that firm stand for truth. And I mean, it now sounds a little cliche based on those pages and stuff, but is to take that firm stand. A lot of us, you know, are, are kind of closet truthers. And, you know, it's good to be, be awake, uh, but it's much better to actually do something with being awake, uh, to actually, you know, help create progress. Because, you know, knowing the truth and living by the truth are two different things altogether. And so um, my encouragement to anybody is regardless of the criticism that you think you're going to receive or that you will, in fact, receive, uh, regardless of the backlash, um, we're at a critical time in society, that uh, we need to take a firm stand to prevent the erosion of our rights, our liberties, uh, to ensure that our children and grandchildren have a a great place to live rather than a a place full of complete tyranny um, where, you know, you have to ask permission for every single thing. You don't have access to to natural health modalities, you you know, access to anything. You're basically a medical experiment. Uh, It's time that we take a stand now before it gets to that point. And to do so in a spirit of love. Uh, many people get really angry about all this type of stuff, and and I've learned, you know, I've learned the truth of it. Um, you know, you got that saying out there from that, that's been accredited to Buddha that um, hatred is is like uh, uh, poison or drinking poison and, and hoping that the other person dies. Um, and it's true, you know, when we get when we get that hatred and the anger, which are one and the same. Uh, it's actually poison to us. And so many people are being motivated out of that, that they're so angry and they're so filled with hatred towards these corrupt individuals that are, you know, destroying children to poison them through vaccines and, you know, de- destroying, you know, our society and all this type of stuff. Um, I, I would encourage people to take a, a different approach to it and, and, and to do so through love. Love is actually the greatest motivating factor and, and you don't get burned out in love. And so to, you know, for me, Uh, one of my, one of my, uh, you know, greatest reminders, I I carry this pen with me often and it says, our dad, our hero, it's a reminder that I've got other, four other children. I'm not a hero. not that, not that portion, but that I've got four other children that I'm taking a stand for and that I love. And so I'm motivated out of what I love. I love Liberty. I love freedom. I love health. I love humanity um and so that's what motivates me forward so i don't get caught up in that bitter cynical spiral that would be so easy to, to give give ourselves over to and so that, that that would be you know what i'd love to leave off on is encouraging people to take a firm stand for the truth not to back down but to do so out of the motivation of love what is it that you're doing it for not what are you are you against what are you for
0: I think we're going to leave it there, David. Absolute pleasure talking to you, my man. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I want to get you back on in four, six monthly blocks just to see what's going on, see what you're doing, and we can keep on. And when you get that funding page up, let me know.
1: Awesome. Hey, thank you so much for having me on, Ryan. I appreciate what you're doing there. God bless you.
0: All right, man so guys and girls that was david stefan and his story and everything else he's going through at the moment um powerful powerful story powerful message and he's doing a powerful job for all of us when it comes to making sure that we're going to have our rights to to keep to to actually naturally defend ourselves in terms of health you know and uh and this is the picture real pose a few questions there even will you go to doctors now because they can start to to sue you and to put you on trial even though you're not a medical professional um madness and if you don't believe in their system they can just sue you or they can just make up laws and, and precedents here This is it's very very dangerous so anyway david as you say, says website um his website is standfortruth.ca and he's going to get more more um, information will be on there soon. If I actually put his Facebook link on there, his Facebook page. is there's a lot of uh, Facebook lives, etc. And um, lots of information on there. So if you want to follow him on there, that's a great place to, to get him. But um, yeah, guys and girls, you know, powerful messages. This is, this is something that we need to really not take lightly the fact that I mean Canada started to mandate speech as well they've got a lot going on over there it's wrong I mean there in America it's becoming wackadoo and you know it'll end up over here so we've got to remain strong got to back people and when he does actually get his fund me page up I think we should all look to donate to, to, to David he's doing a job that we should all be doing and he's putting his livelihood and his 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 life on the line in a lot of ways because you know what happens to that? these people go missing when they start fighting the pharmaceutical start, start fighting this pharmaceutical industry. So let's look at that. Um, anyway, that's David Stefan and his story, and we'll be uh, getting him back on for sure. Uh, in the meantime, guys and girls, lots of free information for you and articles over at www.reviveyourself.co. As I said before, if you're dealing with a chronic health issue and you'd like some help, support, one-to-one program, and and accountability to get you through then email me at ryan at reviveyourself.co and we can book in a in a free consultation to see if and how we can help you. Otherwise, that's it for this week. Um, yeah, really go out there and let's back David. Um, just the final thought, really go out there and back people like David because he's doing a job for all of us. But as I said before, that's it for this week. As always, stay happy, stay healthy, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.